listeners and welcome to the Australian Society of Anesthesists podcast where we talk all things anesthesia. I'm Susie New, current president of the ASA. This episode is one that I've recorded with the hardworking and legendary Mark Sinclair, otherwise known as the chair of our Economics Advisory Committee. We had this conversation on Wednesday, the 23rd of September, which was a few days after the government had announced an extension to the temporary MBS telehealth item numbers for COVID-19. In this episode, we discuss the telehealth item numbers for anesthesia and pain medicine. If you want to find out more details about when to use these telehealth item numbers and when not to use them, I suggest you listen to the version which is available only for ASA members on the ASA website. I'll put the link in the show notes below. You're looking for episode number 18. All right, hope you enjoy listening. Thank you so much for recording this podcast with me. You really don't need any introduction, do you? You are the mastermind behind the the RVG, the beloved RVG. I think you're, you chair the committee that contributes to it. You're the editor-in-chief for it. And I don't think I know anyone who, who can rattle off the MBS item numbers as quickly as you can. The evil mastermind, perhaps, that's it. <laughs> Not an evil mastermind. I thought I'd first of all start with the telehealth item numbers because last Friday it was announced that there would be a six-month extension for them, which is, I think, a great outcome for patients across Australia, especially during these COVID times. And I know it's been a long road for us to get there as anaesthetists to be able to have access to the telehealth item numbers. And I thought uh, I could ask you just to describe that path that we took. Sure, sure. No, no problem, Susie. Well, um, as we know, um, the the telehealth items introduced during the COVID uh, pandemic um, were introduced at pretty short notice and without, without a lot of planning and forethought, um, as members of, and, and anaesthetists generally are probably well aware, uh, to get new items into the Medicare schedule generally requires a lot of work, sometimes over several years, with the Department of Health and their various committees that look at these um, applications for items. But obviously it was decided pretty early in the um, COVID uh, pandemic crisis, so to the government's credit, that uh, face-to-face consultations could well become quickly a thing of the past. Don't forget at that stage, we had no idea how bad this pandemic was going to be. And it was entirely possible that the only access patients were gonna have to their doctors was via some sort of electronic communication uh, with face-to-face meetings and clinics and so forth uh, being uh, risky or impossible. And so, uh, so we, we were quite uh, supportive and uh, very um, uh, um, positive about the government's approach there to introduce these items. But uh, because of the fact they came in without too much thought, uh, yet again, unfortunately, the poor old anaesthetists got left behind. They obviously introduced a series of telehealth items for the general practice, which uh, of course remains their most high um, incidence of, of claims for telehealth, the GPs. Uh, but they also introduced some items for specialists um, and so immediately, of course, we got on the blower to the department to say, well, okay, we're specialists. Will we have access to the two specialist, uh, general specialist telehealth items that were introduced? Uh, and one was, of course, for uh, telehealth attendance via video conference, which was the preferred uh, method by the Medicare people. Uh, in the case where, tele- where video uh, facilities weren't available, there was the second telehealth item for telephone conferences. Uh, we were assured, yes, absolutely, they will be used by anaesthetists, by any other specialist, and so we advised the, uh, the, the specialty of that. 
Uh, and of course, within a couple of weeks, we started getting queries from anesthetists all over the country saying that their, um, their claims for these items have been rejected. And that must have been a bit of a blow, wasn't it? We were first given some verbal assurances from the department and then a few weeks later we're hearing about it through our members that their claims are being rejected. 100%, 100% of all claims being rejected. So we, of course, immediately started querying to ask what was going on. And we had various sort of, uh, unfortunately, because this was all very new uh, and perhaps all department officials all over the country didn't have their heads completely around the new system because it wasn't produced very quickly, as we said. Um, it, it, it was causing a bit of confusion as to why anaesthetists weren't excluded. It turns out in the end, of course, that the, uh, the two general specialist telehealth items that were introduced were meant to mirror face-to-face -face items 104 and 105 for general, general attendances by specialists. And of course, since 2006, when we had a series of anaesthesia-specific face-to-face uh, -face consultation items introduced, um, anaesthetist services have been in ineligible for 104 and 105. And of course, we thought that'd be a fairly simple fix. Uh, these items, after all, were going to be very temporary with the expiry date at that stage of September 30th, 2020. And so fairly simple, we thought in our minds, to just have uh, anaesthetists included in those specialist telehealth items. But unfortunately, it took us about 10 weeks to sort this out with eventually, as we now know, the introduction of two specific items just for anaesthetists. And so those items came in in May and uh, we still have them now. And as you said, uh, just a few days ago, uh, these items have been extended to March, 2021. I recall when it came you know, to May and it had been a good few months and we hadn't had those telehealth item numbers. There was a lot of communication, wasn't there, between the ASA and the department? Absolutely. We were on the phone or emails uh, many times a week. Uh, everything from me emailing or ringing the people that I know within the department, through to our immediate past president, um, Associate Professor David M. Scott of Lismore, who uh, during the MBS review situation, of course, had a direct uh, phone line to the minister and utilised that during this teleconference uh, 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 issue or debacle, whatever you want to call it, uh, and had actually direct phone conversations with the Minister for Health. So at every level, we were communicating as hard as we could with the um, relevant people in uh, Canberra to get anaesthesia telehealth items up and running. Uh, but unfortunately, that's the way bureaucracy works. It took us 10 weeks. So just to recap, the item came in for other medical practitioners in March. We were verbally told we could use it. And then we're getting feedback from members and other anaesthetists that their claims for the use of telehealth item numbers were getting rejected. And then what followed was 10, 11 weeks of negotiations, which really, I think, ramped up towards the end of that time with fairly regular, almost daily correspondence with the department and text messages and direct contacts with the health minister himself. And then finally, an uh, introduction of the telehealth item numbers for anaesthesia. And then now, and with them due to expire in about a week's time, it has been announced that they've they'll be extended for another six months, which is, as I said, a great thing for patients during these COVID times. We do congratulate the federal government on taking that initiative. We also congratulate the AMA and the College of GPs who are instrumental in getting this extension uh, approved. Um, and of course, what it also does now is give us that opportunity to get something permanent in the MBS regarding telehealth for anaesthetists. So obviously all the other specialties, including general practice, will be pushing for permanent telehealth items. We are now in entering the third decade of the 20th century. Uh, telehealth is a real thing. Uh, and we all believe as medical practitioners that patients should have 
access to Medicare-funded telehealth items where it's appropriate, not just the current uh, one that's been in there for about eight or nine years, which is for patients in geographically remote locations, uh, 17609 for us. And so uh, we have now another six months grace period and the Economics Advisory Committee will be working very actively on getting a good set of permanent uh, telehealth items into the anesthesia schedule. We all know that a good pre-admission, pre-anesthesia consult can save on unnecessary investigations and unnecessary cancellations or postponement of surgery. And I think you made a really good point about the value of the preoperative assessment. And that's certainly when we were discussing the telehealth item numbers with the department. I felt that we did a lot of education of the department regarding the value of the preoperative consultation in terms of um, improving patient outcome. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, as it turned out, and it does frequently happen in our dealings with the department, of course, the departmental officials change jobs all the time, and we often have to reinvent the wheel. So uh, despite the fact that uh, the pre-anesthesia consultation uh, pre-rooms item had been in the schedule for 11 or 12 years at that stage, we were faced with a bunch of um, newer health department officials who didn't even realise that anaesthetists actually did see patients in their rooms uh, prior to admission and questioned the very need uh, for that to happen, uh, believing that the GP and the surgeon could sort out everything uh, as an outpatient and the anaesthetist could just see them in hospital on the day. So needless to say, um, uh, myself, Andrew Mulcahy, uh, re-educated, let's say, our Medicare officials on that extremely important point on the value of the pre-admission, pre-anesthesia consultation. And we do need to think of our anaesthetist members who provide pain medicine services too, because uh, they currently also technically aren't fundable by these two items, the telehealth items, because they're not pre-anesthesia consultations, they're consultations for pain medicine. They're, they're an essential component of patient care, and of course they should be recognised. But unfortunately, if you are providing such services, currently the only telehealth items available are those for the so-called other medical practitioners, which are basically uh, general practice type items for non-vocationally registered general practitioners. You're right. There is a lack of, I suppose, appropriate telehealth funding for patients having pain consultations from anaesthetists. Exactly. There's a lack of funding across the board, really. Um, even the specialist pain medicine items for a face-to-face consultation um, uh, in the range 2801 through 2809 uh, for, our, for, our, for our colleagues that have a pain medicine uh, uh, faculty fellowship uh, compared to, for example, complex physician consultations, those pain medicine items are very poorly funded. Uh, and so, um, unfortunately, uh, pain medicine, as especially much like anaesthesia, uh, does struggle to get recognition in the MBS. And I mean, I'm, I'm digressing here, but uh, from recollection of the various you know, emails that have come across, exactly that. An anaesthetist who's got a pain a, a t- a ticket doing a pain consult, it doesn't get the same rebate as a pain physician who's coming through another pathway. Exactly. There, there, there is, there is a, um, a reasonably well-funded uh, consultation item for specialist physicians who hold that FRACP uh, item 132 for a complex initial consultation of greater than 45 minutes. Um, whereas the, only, the, best, the best pain medicine one uh, you can be funded is uh, item 2801. So there is that huge differential. Um, and um, once again, um, it's, it's just a matter of... Um, convincing uh, departments of health, unfortunately, that they, they could spend this money and that would be money well spent. Uh, we are going to continue working on that specific um, issue in the background, of course, that um, better funding for those really complex pain medicine consultation items, especially the initial consultation, which were the a very complex pain medicine patients. These unfortunate patients have all sorts of issues in life, of course, and it's not a simply matter of sitting down with them for a quick chat. 
they often need an incredibly um, detailed and complex uh, assessment and, and planning. Mm, and just even parity with our other specialist colleagues. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad it's you, Mark, leading the charge that you've got such a wealth of knowledge on the MBS item numbers and, and that we, ASA, are going to continue to look at getting telehealth item numbers for those referred consultations and especially for the pain consultations as well. There's a great inequity in there for anaesthetists doing pain medicine. Pushing very hard for permanent telehealth items to match all pre all anaesthesia consults, both pre anaesthesia and referred, which will also cover the pain medicine. Plenty of work cut out for you, Mark. Yeah, all, all, and the great, great committee uh, for people all over the country, of course, as members will be aware, you, it's the, the, the list of committee members is in the back of the RBG book. All a very capable, enthusiastic bunch, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we won't be letting this one go. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks for talking to us about telehealth item numbers and, and also just that clarification about the various consultation item numbers. I know we do get queries about them every now and again. Um, I think the other big one is emergency item numbers, but that I think will be a whole topic of another podcast in itself. Anything else, Mark, that you would like to add about telehealth item numbers that we haven't covered? No, I think we've covered it all pretty well. Uh, members may well have some, unfortunately, I guess in a podcast, members don't have the opportunity to ask questions, do they? But please do, if you have any questions about anything we've discussed tonight, um, Jacinta, Victor John and Patrick Gifford, our policy team at the ASA, uh, await your, um, your emails on policy at asa.org.au. Uh, any queries you have about anything to do with the Medicare system, private health insurance items, telehealth, uh, please do send that in. Uh, Patrick and Jacinta um, uh, archive all queries, send it out to the appropriate committees and respond to the members on behalf of those committees. And it is all done de-identified. Uh, we don't ask you that the, um, obviously you'll identify yourself to Jacinta and Patrick, but the, the queries go out to the committees de-identified. So you, your identity is quite safe. That's a really good point there, Mark. So any questions about any of those issues that you would like to ask, then send them into, as Mark said, policy at asa.org.au and they'll be sent out in a de-identified manner. And there's also a page on the ASA forums. Um, there is an MBS or RVG items FAQ. And also we will sometimes be posting de-identified queries that we do get from members where we think the answer would be useful for the general membership. We do also post them into the FAQs there. So if people want to stay up to date, you can subscribe to the ASA forum and get updates for whenever any new information is added. Yeah, for sure. And if you just want to start up a chain of a certain issue, um, any member at any time is welcome to go on the forum and start up their own uh, question and answer chain. Exactly. We, we love hearing from you, don't we? Sure. That's what we're here for. Exactly. Great. Oh, well, thank you, Mark. Thank you once again. I love the way that you can just reel off all those item numbers. I do have to take notes as we go, but I'm very impressed as always and, and impressed that with all the hard work often going on behind the scenes that members can't see and all the meetings that you are involved with with the department and um, that, you know, the relationships that we've built with the department. Um, that's That's been something that, that started well before my time and hopefully will continue well after my time in this role. Um, and it's thanks due to the hard work of people like yourself, Mark. So thank you once again. Oh, thank you, Susie, for, uh, for your leadership as our president through these difficult times. And, um, and thanks for the opportunity to get on to the uh, uh, webcasts and podcasts and everything else, uh, casts, uh, to get this stuff out to the members because it's a very important uh, uh, issue. We're, we're not here just to have meetings with each other. We're here to serve the members. And so... Um, please uh, do utilise our, our services. We're always keen to help. Lovely. Couldn't agree more. Thanks, Mark. Okay, thanks, Susan. Thanks again. 
This podcast was produced by the Australian Society of Anesthetists. More podcasts can be found on the ASA website, asa.org.au. Music was The Twelve Dance, Part 1 by Maydan, which can be found on the Free Music Archive website. We hope you enjoyed listening.